This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Welcome to Listen In, a bite-sized bio podcast series allowing you to access the best of bite-sized bio webinars wherever you are. Hello, this is Adam Paulson welcoming you to this course webinar which is brought to you by the Bite-sized Bioscience Writer Academy. The Bite-sized Bioscience Writer Academy is the place to come if you're interested in launching a career in science writing. With our Write Onboarding courses, we'll provide you with all the tools you need to perfect your science prose. We'll walk you through getting started in science writing, writing for the web, creative writing techniques for scientists and much more. Why not visit us at sciencewriteracademy.bitesizebio.com where you'll find more information about some of our upcoming courses and how Bitesize Bio can help kickstart your science writing career. Today's presentation is titled What is Science Writing and is being presented by Dr. Laura Grassi, Managing Editor at Bitesize Bio. Laura received her PhD in Molecular Biology from the University of Dundee before moving into the world of scientific publishing. She has previously worked as an assistant editor for the journal Genome Biology and has held various other roles in scientific publishing. Her contributions to Bitesize Bio began during her PhD when she started writing articles. She is now a managing editor at Bitesize Bio, where she has the pleasure of interacting with science writers at all levels, from those just beginning their careers to writers who are now well established. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation, so please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the bottom panel of your screen, and I'll put them to Laura at the end of the presentation. A link to view the recording of this presentation will be sent to you in due course. So now over to you, Laura, for the presentation. Hello, and welcome to this bite-sized bio tutorial on science writing. In this talk, we're going to provide an overview of what science writing is, the different kinds of science writing, jobs available, and how you can get your foot in the door. We'll also highlight the skills you may already have that make you and other researchers well suited to a career in science writing. Disclaimer, I have not worked in all of these different science writing roles. This talk is here to highlight the different roles that are out there and to showcase to you what career changes you could make based on skill sets that you already have uh, in science writing and to just showcase these different roles, how to find these roles and how you can get started. Before we start the main bit of the presentation, um, I'd like to run through a few housekeeping notes. This will this tutorial is in the form of a main presentation, which will then be followed by a question and answer session at the end. So if you have any burning questions that you want answered, um, that will be the time to do it. But you can actually put your question and answer in the Q&A box uh, at any time. So as the presentation is going, pop them in the Q&A box, and that means they're ready waiting for us for the Q&A session. The recording will be available to watch after the event. So don't worry about noting things down because you will be able to revisit this. And if you find that you have questions that only come up after the event, uh, you can contact us as well and we will try and answer them as best we can. So who are we? I would first like to explain a bit about Bite Size Bio, who we are, um, so you can get an understanding of why we're giving this presentation. The website was started in 2007 by Dr. Nick Oswald as a way to share his knowledge with others. Since then, it has grown to become a resource where all life science researchers can share their experience and knowledge with others. 
The website provides advice, help, tips for researchers on both technical aspects of research, for example, how to do specific techniques, tips for getting it better, but also on soft skills and careers. We also offer writing experience for researchers with every article that we publish going through an editorial process. This means that we provide feedback to authors to help improve their writing while helping them share their knowledge to a wider research audience and helping others do the best they can in the lab. In addition, we also host webinars on a range of techniques and topics, as well as three podcasts. Uh, this includes the Microscopist, which is sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Um, this interviews leading microscopists across the globe to bring you insights into their careers, as well as their personal lives. We have Flow Stars podcast, which is sponsored by Beckman Coulter, and is in a similar format to the Microscopists, but with leaders in the world of flow cytometry. The Happy Scientist podcast, sponsored by Claritas, brings insight and advice to how to be happier researcher uh, from understanding your core mindsets and ensuring your human needs are met. Overall, we are focused on helping pass on the hidden knowledge that you can't find easily in published papers or textbooks. And we also work for clients creating content such as articles and other commercial ghostwriting. So what about me? Why should you listen to me? Well, I'm Laura Grassi. I um, have a PhD in molecular biology and I've now had over nine years experience in scientific publishing and this ranges for working from journals um, to working with bite-sized bio and other areas of scientific publishing. I've got experience with writing, editing, reviewing articles, presenting and providing training to others. I've been where you are, I was in academia but I realised that it wasn't the career for me I needed to make a move um, and I moved from as I said, a PhD in molecular biology to pursue a career in publishing. But something that I found very difficult when I was looking at changing careers from a life in the lab to something else was knowing what I could do. It felt that the entire time I was doing my PhD, I was being trained for one thing and one thing only to be a researcher. Um, one of the reasons I, I decided to change was a talk actually that uh, I went to at my PhD at the Institute from someone at F1000 who highlighted that at the time, there was only, for every 10 PhD students, there was one postdoc position available. And for every 10 postdocs, there was one permanent position available. Meaning that for your career to get from a PhD student to a, a, a permanent position in academia, you were looking at a one in 100 chance. And that's when I realized I, I really didn't like those odds. Um, but it was difficult to know well, what else is available? If only one in 100 PhD students is going to make it to a permanent position, where do the 99 others go? Um, and there wasn't a lot of help available. So one of the reasons we wanted to give this talk was to, to highlight that there are lots of careers available and that this is obviously just covering you know, one subset of that, but how you can get into those um, careers and how actually you've already got a lot of skills that can help you um, enter these careers. So I've been involved with Bite Size Bio for nine years, um, both as a writer and editor. I actually started writing for Bite Size Bio during my PhD. I found it a really nice way of sharing my knowledge with people. And also, I think that really started helping me uh, in my career uh, to, to leave academia or at least leave the lab. So what's today's presentation all about? We're going to talk about science writing. We're going to touch upon what it is, why we do it or why it's important, the kinds of people that do it and where, so the kinds of jobs um, that are available in science writing and how to actually get involved. 
I think the first thing that I really want to touch upon is um, a pain point for, from my past when I was leaving academia was um, feeling like there was going to be nothing that was as worthwhile as staying in research. And I, I don't know if others feel this, but it's something I want to highlight that there are plenty of other jobs that are important and science writing definitely falls into one of those. And so I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to really explain why writing matters. So this is a quote from a talk given by a children's author, Michael Rosen, um, to the Royal Society of Literature uh, and the British Library to celebrate the first National Writing Day uh, in 2017. And he started his talk by saying, we cannot know everything. We cannot remember everything. So writing is really critical because no matter how clever, how great we are at remembering things, we cannot know everything and we can't remember everything. And therefore we need to have a way of accessing the knowledge that 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 we have that we can't always remember the knowledge that other people have and this is where writing is really fundamental if you think every time you have read a protocol for how to use a kit or read a paper it's the writing and it's important that the writing is done in a way that conveys the information properly so Writing is critical in science. It's critical for sharing knowledge between people, for sharing results between people, but even for, for individuals as well to retain that information. It's a way of creating a, a shared library of information. So it really is important, is what I'm trying to say. So let's touch about what science writing is because I think sometimes people can get confused by what is meant by science writing and also it's open to interpretation everybody probably has a slightly different um, opinion on what science writing is I have quite a broad view so it can be things like your you know your thesis or research proposals it can be obviously classic things like papers and review articles and news and views, things that you're really familiar with reading day-to-day uh, -day and regularly, um, and editorial pieces as well. But it also has other categories such as uh, science journalism and blogs, such as Bite Size Bio, popular science books. And it also includes things like science marketing um, and even social media. So really, science writing is anywhere that you are talking about science, whether you're writing using the written word to express information about science. And that could be, like I said, sharing the latest results, which we're all very familiar with, but also, you know, sharing it in a, in a, a way to a broader audience, such as just journalism, and also um, telling people about new and exciting products that they can use and how this helps them in the lab. And all of these things have a place and all of these things are important. So one of the first things you can think about is look at these various types of science writing. And there's even more than just the ones I've portrayed and think about what, if this is what you're looking to do and switch careers is, what would you like to write? Do you want to write more tricky scientific articles, um, more, more technically challenging, or do you want to write something that is read by a wider audience. And in some ways that can be the hardest, harder thing to write. So just have a look out and see what's there and open your mind to seeing the different forms of science writing and what you might be interested in doing. So we're gonna start working through these various ones that I've talked about. And as I said, this doesn't cover every possible career in science writing because there's so many, but touching on kind of the main buckets. So 
science journalists is something that people probably consider a lot when they think about science writing. And the job of a science journalist really is to explain recent scientific discoveries to a wide non-technical audience. And this means that they, uh, a science journalist needs to have the ability to read, understand and digest complex scientific terminology and concepts, uh, to be able to research around this topic to provide background, and to be able to critically assess results and conclusions, and be able to convey this in a manner of which the reader will understand. And that can be really quite challenging, but exciting as well. This, this kind of job means that you'll probably be Whereas, you know, in research, you're very focused on one specific tiny area, a science journalist would write on a much broader topic to, to, to cover a wider topic. It's really suitable for those who like to keep up to date with a very broad range of research, um, cope well under tight deadlines, and really enjoys explaining complex topics um, in an understandable way to a non-technical audience. So you can, you can practice this, you can try and talk about some of the, the papers that you've read or um, other scientific discoveries to friends and family that don't have a background in science and try and make sure you're, you're speaking and talking in a way that they understand. And it can be quite challenging to do this, but also quite fun. Um, and definitely a different, a different way to communicate than most uh, scientists are used to. The kind of jobs that are available in science journalism, most of these are going to be permanent positions, so staffers, um, which can be can be difficult to get to get onto. Um, but there is freelance opportunities available out there as well. It is a very fast-paced world, and it is highly competitive. Um, one of the things, if you if you are considering um, going into science journalism uh, is to think about the, the type of science journalism out there. There's lots of different types from, you know, more serious news outlets to more um, fun and friendly, accessible science journalism. So how do you become a science journalist? As I said before, most of the people are going to be staffers, so people who are on the payroll who work for that one publication. Um, and that can be quite tricky to do, but you can also get there as a freelancer as well. You can get published as a freelancer, um, which is something you can think about if you're still in research and thinking about where to, that you want to transition is you can look at maybe doing some freelance articles while you're still in research to kind of start getting your foot in the door. So as a freelancer, you would look at these publications and be able to um, submit article ideas or written articles on topics that you would want. If you're going to go down this route, be prepared for a lot of rejection. And I mean a lot. It is very unlikely that your first proposals will get accepted and you will have to try multiple proposals at multiple different um, publications. But just keep trying. Many of these um, outlets, for example, you know, New Scientist, they have detailed pages on how to submit to them, how to become um, a science writer or how to write articles for them and really read these guidelines and make sure you follow them. Uh, for example, New Scientist talks about how, um, where you can find article ideas from and the types of articles that they would be interested in, in publishing and really what they wouldn't be interested in. And it's, it's critical that you follow those steps um, to help guarantee that you're going to get some success there. But don't be put off by rejection ask for feedback, ask why it was rejected, ask for any tips or improvement. Many people will be able to give you this and every 
point of feedback that you get will help you improve for the next time. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. So like I said, if you want to become a staff writer, what you really need to do is, 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 is find a way in. And one of the things is you need to be able to showcase your ability to write. So you want to build a portfolio, um, do the standard things of developing a network and look out for postings. Um, you might also find that to enhance your chances, you want to do some further training as well. There are definitely lots of journalism courses that are available out there. You know, many universities and colleges offer, you know, one year courses, master's courses on journalism that helps really hone the skills that you would need to, to have a career in that. And through those sorts of training, you'd also be able to make connections that could be able to get you in there. But there are also internships and apprenticeships that are available um, that you just need to look out for um, on these. And the, the best way is to look at the types of publications that you want to write for and keep an eye on whether or not they, you know, a lot of them have pages on how to get started with them, including details of apprenticeships and internships. But also look up the people who write for them. Look at their bios on the site. What have they done in the past? See how they, you know, have, were they in the lab beforehand? How did they move forward into this? Do some research. And it really will depend very much on the type of publication you're aiming to write for to how to, to tailor your career to that. The next one is one that I think a lot of people don't realize or think about as science writing, and it's not strictly writing, but writing can be a large part of it, and that is um, research communications. So research communications can be for a variety of different organizations from universities, charities, societies, and funding bodies. And it really involves the sharing and disseminating science in various ways from interviews and blog posts to social media. It often involves interacting directly with researchers um, and you will often be based in a place where you are speaking to researchers um, regularly. For example, you know, if you're in a university, um, you might actually be physically talking to the researchers on a weekly or daily basis. Um, and this means it's great for those who still very much want to be involved in academia, but just don't want to be at the lab anymore. And it also is great for those who, who while like writing, also want to communicate in lots of different ways, you know, enjoy presentations, enjoy public speaking and enjoy, you know, speaking to people. So how do you get into research communications? Well, the first thing is, if you're funded by a charity or a funding body or, you know, at a university, there might already be a way that you can get into research communications. Look for research communications officers either in your institution or who fund you and reach out to them and say, you know, you're interested in getting some skills in this area. Is there anything that you can do to contribute? I worked with um, the research communication officer at my institution um, who was actually um, from my funding body as well. And this involved going to events and talking to people. There was also, a, you know, a photo shoot opportunity, which was really bizarre. Um, but other ways, you know, and there's other ways that you can contribute um, to that as well. Also, you can get started yourself with social media. Social media is so powerful these days for sharing and disseminating science. You can already get practice, and this could be a even something you highlight in job interviews that you are already experienced 
with social media. So, for example, you could speak to your lab head and see if you could get involved in running or setting up a social media account for your lab, um, which is a great thing for labs to do to share information as well and build a network and also can help you build your skills. Um, and these are just some of the things that you can do to get started in terms of, of looking for actual job adverts. There's lots of different kind of keywords that you can look for when searching, which can be, you know, research communications, it can be public engagement, and it can be science communication. All of these highlighting that it's not simply writing, um, but all forms of communication. You can also look at um, institutions if you want to stay nearby institutions around you or look at funding bodies around you. Often, uh, sometimes now in the world we live in today, these jobs can be done remotely as well. Um, so just have a look at what's available out there. Keep an eye on um, charities, societies uh, and universities you might be interested in working for and see, keep an eye on the jobs available there. But like I said, you can constantly be building up the skills to be in research communications uh, yourself, either while you're still in the lab or even after you've left it as well. <clears throat> so another third um, bucket of science writers is those who work in the medical or technical writing. And these can be, again, a wide range of um, different institutions from pharmaceutical companies to medical organizations, such as hospitals, uh, to even dedicated medical writing companies. And there's a lot of dedicated medical writing companies out there. Um, people who are medical and technical or this job requires a really high attention to detail, um, often also a specific area of expertise uh, for, or knowledge. So these could be something you've gained during your research days or something that you focus on uh, when you go into that specific role. And it really requires um, understanding of medical and legal regulations as well. So if you're someone that really likes understanding technical and things like um, medical and legal regulations um, and rules, this would be great for you. It involves producing a very wide range of technical information. And again, the different roles will differ depending on what sort of organization you are and what their focus is and what the individual projects are. But it can range from patient information sheets to marketing, to providing reports on trials, um, to trial protocols and things for people to follow and even advertisements. And these are need to be written in a really clear way that can't be and misunderstood because it can have huge impacts especially if it's like a patient information leaflet or how to conduct a trial um, and therefore really requires someone who has that attention to detail so this could be if you really enjoyed writing um, in a in a technical way such as methods papers that this could be something that is perfect for you and again how do you get that how would you become a medical or a technical writer so again, just look at job adverts. When I was doing research for this, there are so many jobs available um, in this field. And especially with remote working becoming more popular, this is a job that is definitely available, remote working, which widens your search net for locations. So the sorts of terms that you would look for is like medical writer, scientific content writer, medical copywriter, technical writer, scientific advisor or healthcare writer. You definitely can do this job freelance, but many of the jobs are actually full-time um, working for institutions or agencies. 
um, which actually makes it a bit easier. Technical writing can span a wide range of disciplines. Um, so ensure that when you're looking at these adverts that you are suitable for the role that's being advertised because they may want someone with a specific background in a particular disease area um, or medical history. Um, there's also, it, it spans not just biology, but it spans things like engineering or computer science. So be careful when you're looking for adverts there that technical writers um, can be very broad term and that you have the skill sets necessary. And you want to make sure that you're comfortable in writing in those areas or feel that you could become knowledgeable in those areas. I wouldn't suggest taking something that's too far of a leap, especially for um, as you're first getting your foot in the door. Many of these companies don't require you to have any sort of writing background and will provide all the training um, in that. So this can be one great way to get your foot in the door of, of writing and a writing career um, if you haven't got any prior experience or any sort of portfolio created because it'd be quite hard to create a technical, more technical portfolio, although writing scientific articles, um, review articles and um, methods papers can show that you've got a real technical um, background as well. And this one, I think many people wouldn't even um, have on their radar as a career in science writing, and that is scientific marketing. And again, the sorts of institutions that, or sorts of places you can do this in um, are pharmaceutical, marketing agencies, um, biotech and life sciences industries. And it doesn't seem like a standard science writer role, but this job offers a lot and is well suited to researchers. It involves writing and creating a wide range of content from adverts, leaflets, posters, blogs, and social media campaigns to really showcase what tools are available to researchers and help them see what's available to help their work. And, and some people can have a real negative connotation um, with life science marketing, but it's it's a way of showing people what's out there and it's it, again it's really important because as new tools and um reagents are created that can make people's lives easier at the lab you know they've got to share this you've got to get that out to researchers to help them in their work it, it really involves understanding the target audience um which if you've been a researcher, you are the target audience and pitching information to the right level, but also with a mix of being creative um, with content and language. So it's more than just the words as well. It can think about the visual aspect of it um, and can be quite fun, challenging, but fun as well. And so that if you find you have a bit more of a creative streak, you do enjoy writing, but you also want to, you know, do more than that and have creative input, then scientific marketing might be something that would you know you would really flourish in it also has um often has medical or legal regulation involved but companies would have dedicated um medical and legal departments that would walk you through this but it's something to be aware of that there are often strict guidelines on how wording can be done um but also can involve incredibly complex topics and may require deep subject knowledge. So, for example, if you have had experience in a particular um, sort of technique, protein purification or something like that, you would be well suited for a scientific marketing role in a company with that background. 
Um, so as I said, it can be various different things from producing um, adverts to um, white papers to case studies explaining how technology can be used. So how do you get there? Um, again, job adverts is a great way of, of looking at how to get into scientific marketing, keeping an eye on, on big companies or even small ones. There's lots of startups um, that are often in need of this sorts of scientific marketing as well. And it's looking for keywords such as marketing associate, scientific communications, product marketing and scientific content and communications. So these are sorts of terms uh, that are available. But again, you can keep an eye on companies that you've worked um, that you want to work with or companies that you're aware of from being in the lab that you think might be interested and just keep an eye on their job adverts as well. And finally, I want to talk about being a freelancer, which sometimes people see as the easiest way to step into science writing, but can also be incredibly difficult as well. It's great if you're someone that wants to pick and choose different types of science writing because you can you can either specialize in one specific type, but you can also have, you know, both marketing skills and do scientific journalism as well. So if you're someone that maybe doesn't want to stick yourself in one particular box, then freelancing could be right for you. It can be incredibly hard to get started in this career because you are selling yourself and you, you need to find the work. But it does have some great benefits. You have the flexibility to pick and choose which work you want to work for, assuming you know you have a lot of work to, to come to, but you also do um, have the ability to charge what you're like, um, and you can write for a range of clients and choose those ones to work for, but you may have to work for whatever you can get, especially in the beginning, to build up your, um, your clients. You can also normally work remotely as a freelancer and from not from one location. So perhaps if you want to be one of those digital nomads roaming the world, then uh, that could possibly be uh, a great way to do that. It does have a problem of things such as lack of benefits. You may not have a lot of the benefits associated with working for a company. You are self-employed, which means that you have to jump through lots of hoops um, and it can be incredibly unstable because a client who you've worked for for years can suddenly decide that they want to bring it in-house or work with a different person, and then you've lost that source of income. But again, for those people who want to work flexibly, maybe they need to work flexibly for family life or just for the way they want to live, um, freelancing can be a great opportunity. And to become a freelancer, portfolio and networking are the two absolute critical things that you need to do you have to build up a portfolio showcasing what you can do without that you can't sell yourself you, you are the product and you need to be able to sell yourself so you need to show what you can do so many people who are freelance writers have a dedicated website where they showcase their work perhaps linking to other work on the web a lot of content nowadays is on the web so it's quite easy to link to that but you also want to have a really strong um, profile on sites such as LinkedIn or even other social media sites um, to really get your name out there. And you need to be very proactive in looking for work, so look for job adverts that require freelancers and keep up to date on sites such as LinkedIn that really showcase um, that really showcase who you are, but also where a lot of people post adverts for freelancers as well. 
You can also be incredibly proactive and submit ideas or resumes to potential gigs. But in these cases, you definitely want to be very selective and prepare well and make sure in any application that you showcase why you are skilled in the particular area that they are looking for. So it can be a difficult one for entry, but it's also something that you could start while you're working in research already, building that portfolio, building up that network, um, attending network event, networking events and societies and keeping an eye on job adverts so that you've got that base when you want to actually switch careers. So it can be, I know many people in science who struggle with imposter syndrome and that affects not just their life in the lab, but especially if they want to change careers, feeling like you've only got skill sets to be a researcher. And that's really not true. And so I really want to take some time to highlight that you are skilled. You have so many transferable skills, which was definitely a buzzword uh, back when I was doing my PhD. I don't know if it still is now, but about highlighting the skills that you've gained that are transferable to other work. So as a researcher, you have great writing skills. You have spent time writing. You've written lab books. You've written grants, perhaps papers, proposals, thesis, protocols. You spent a lot of your time writing. And so you have already experience with writing, especially with your thesis. That's a, a big chunk of it. But you also have skills with the ability to research. And that is a skill that's really not to be underestimated. And I think one of the biggest skills that comes out of doing um, a PhD is the ability or uh, any sort of career in research is the ability to know how to find information, how to actually discover what's available out there. You've also got a lot of experience digesting that information. You know, every time you've read a paper, every time you've gone to a seminar, um, speaking to colleagues, attending conferences, you've been listening and digesting that information in an understandable way. You've got a lot of experience with technical terminology um, and background knowledge, even if uh, you're going to be writing an article on something that's not in the area that you worked on from people that you worked with in the lab or more general review articles that you've read or just keeping up to date with the more general literature, you may have a good background knowledge in that. Many science roles also still involve interacting with academia, which can be really important. So simply from understanding, you know, when you use the title professor or to how a lab setup is to work for that maybe talking to the, the the lab head is not going to be the easiest way to get an interview and you want to get in and talk to the postdoc that's doing the work in the bench from understanding the that the first author on a paper is the person that's done the work and the last author of the paper is the lab head or the person that's the brought in the funding all of these minutia detail actually can really help transitioning to science writing um, and a lot of knowledge that people who haven't been in the research world maybe don't understand. You're also referencing, um, know the importance of it and know how to do it. So we've discussed some of the careers that are available. Like I said, it's not a comprehensive guide to every career that's available in science writing, but we've discussed some of them and how you can go about them. And now you're thinking, yeah, all right, I'm interested but you still need a bit of help getting there. 
So I'm going to provide some general advice for science writing careers and what you can do now to help you get the best chance of getting the foot in the door. And the first one is to read. Read everything you can and don't limit, limit yourself to one media type or subject area. You need to read broadly and widely. Find what you like and don't like. Think about why you like it or why you don't like it. Reading widely can help you decide what you want to write about or don't, but it will also improve your own writing style. And yes, I have got serial boxes on there because that's still writing that you can read. You know, you can think about what is appealing about this box. If you're thinking about a career in science marketing, that's the sort of stuff um, that you maybe want to start, you know, dissecting, you know, why is this in, in written in this way? What is appealing about this? And take that into your own world. So as well as reading, if you want to be a writer, you're going to have to write. And the best way to start is to start writing regularly, every day. Our founder, Nick, would wake up early every day to make sure he wrote something when he first started Bite Size Bio. And he was rigorous in that, in sitting down, finding time. He worked full time at that point, not on the website, in a different job. And he would get up early to make sure he had that time to write. Because even if it's bad, you need to have that practice to write and have that dedication to write. And what could you do? You could start a blog or make sure you write a social media post every day. Or you can perhaps, you know, be working on something bigger, in which case you want to commit to writing for, you know, maybe 30 minutes a day. Say, right, every day I'm going to do 30 minutes on this and schedule it into your calendar. Make sure you know the time in your day that you're going to do that. If you just say, oh, I need to write for 30 minutes a day, but don't think about when that's going to happen, other stuff will creep in and it won't get done. You might also find that you want to write for longer um, on some days, and that's fine, or that you only just managed to do 30 minutes or not even that. And that, that variation from day to day is fine. And you might even find that there's periods where it's easier to write and periods where it's more difficult to write. But just be persistent and consistent with ensuring that you write every single day. And don't delete as well. It's really tempting to keep deleting what we write because it's not perfect. Um, but if you start hammering that back key, you'll end up with nothing but a blank page. What you write doesn't need to be perfect because you can always review and rewrite, rewrite, which is leading nicely onto my next point, which is when you write, get feedback. Getting feedback on your writing is important, but it can be incredibly hard because you need to learn to take feedback well and see that whoever's giving it to you is just trying to help. You don't have to apply the advice that you get from people because after all, it's your writing um, and there are different ways to write. But you definitely should digest and consider everything the person is saying and think, hmm, is this actually going to help? And you can get feedback on a variety of things from how engaging the content is, um, from basics of grammar and spelling, the tone, the layout and the format and your use of images, perhaps if you've got images in there. And this can also come from a range of sources. You could be your friends and family, co-workers, boss or supervisor, editors of publications or even if you're looking at social media look at things like how many likes you're getting how many reshares you're getting are people talking 
about this or replying to you um, and to see whether it's engaging. Make sure you select the right person for the job of reviewing and giving feedback to you. Um, don't give your boss your new steamy romance novel to review. It's not really appropriate. And ensure that, you know, they've got the, the knowledge or, you know, potentially the audience to, to review what you're doing. You can also get practice um, or improve by giving feedback, looking at what others doing, just as we said that you need to read, read, read to improve your writing, giving feedback and reviewing what others have written can help improve your writing as well. And it also helps to give back to those who've helped you. So if you're looking for feedback from someone, then being able to give them feedback on something else is a really nice way of making sure that you're not taking people advantage and you're um, helping others. And again, you could be giving feedback to your supervisor, your lab mates or co-workers, students, friends and families, um, or as a reviewer in publications. So if you have a student that works in the lab, you know, give them feedback on anything they're writing from their lab book to publications, to um, their thesis, really help them. Um, your lab mates and co-workers, offer it, don't force it, but offer it. And the same to your supervisor, perhaps they've got a grant application that they've put in, they maybe want someone to check over. Um, make sure that you understand what it is they're looking for, whether it's they just want to know whether or not their content is good or they want help the grammar and spelling um, and provide that feedback information. Also giving feedback really helps in learning to take feedback well because you see the flip side you see that you're trying to help someone when you give feedback and that can help you see that that's what your people who are giving you feedback are simply trying to do so getting feedback giving feedback is great because it, it highlights where you may be weak but if you find subject areas that you're weak in what you need to do is improve so one of the things that could be is that you are struggling with the grammar and spelling side of things, which I think, you know, many people do, especially if you don't have any formal training in that. But there are so many resources available out there to help with this. I've just highlighted a few on the screen there, um, which is such as Grammar Girl, which is a fantastic <coughs> online site with great grammar tips. There's also books. A really comical one is Eats, Shoots and Leaves by Lynn Truss. Um, highly recommend to have a read of that one. And there's also apps available out there, such as Grammarly and Hemingway app that can help not only with your grammar and spelling, but your conciseness, the language that you're using um, and how digestible it is to readers. The Hemingway app actually um, roughly gauges the reading level of any piece you're writing which is a really great thing if you're trying to write for a wider audience knowing that you're keeping that reading level not too high by not using too many complicated um, words or terminology and these are just some of the resources available out there you know go to your library especially if you're still in an institution because they will have a vast range look for courses that are given either by your institution or online to help with um, grammar and spelling. We have one in the Science Writers Academy on Grammar 101 um, for scientists. So go check that out if you haven't already. Um, there's also great um, 
resources out there in terms of society. So, for example, in the UK, there's the Association of British Science Writers, or in America, there's the National Association of Science Writers. And these, you can join these societies. It does cost um, a nominal fee, but these can offer a great wealth of information to improve um, because they've got resources from articles to courses that you can access if you're a member to connections they can have networking events either in person or remotely and they also have job pages where they highlight available jobs as science writers um, and as i've said they have courses and it involves um, becoming a member but this is something again that you can put on your cv um, or application form that you are a member of this association which can help um, showcase that you are really wanting to move into this career if you haven't already built up a portfolio but you should build up a portfolio and the way you can do this is by um you you want to what a portfolio is is by is something where you can showcase all the writing um that you've done to send to potential employers um it should show things like variety in length style topic tone or be very applicable to what you want to go into so if you know specifically you want to work as a technical writer in a specific area then your portfolio should really highlight that having other pieces in there um should may show your ability to be adaptable but if you are very focused on what you want to do then you want to make sure your portfolio is very focused um this is particularly important your portfolio is particularly important as i said if you want to be a freelance writer because it is your complete advertisement of who you are and it should include writing samples. So between 10 and 20 writing samples, um, a biography showing your education and your experience and ideally links to social media if you have social media. And this enables um, potential employers or um, potential employers or if you're a freelancer, um, potential recruiters to see what you can do because they that's what they're gonna wanna be able to know is can you do the job? How can you get writing samples? So it can be a variety of ways of getting writing samples. It could just be something, your own blog that you've written. But it's better if you can find opportunities to write where it will be published, either online or in print. So where can you find those opportunities? There are opportunities everywhere to write, even while you're still in the lab. You just need to be open and search for them. For example, if you're a student, consider looking at your student magazine. I actually started writing in my student magazine, The Magdalene, um, and that was a great way to get feedback and advice initially on my writing. They might be looking for contributions, maybe even get lucky and they might even be paid, although many of them, because they are free magazines, are not gonna be paid opportunities, but it's still a great way to get your foot in the door and have something that's been published that you can put on your profile. Um, writing prizes is another great thing um, to look at, there are lots of different um, places where you can look at science um, communication prizes, for example, or science writing prizes. Just have a look at different societies that maybe you're a member of or are related to your, your topic um, and see if they have any sorts of science writing opportunities. So, for example, it could be um, a prize or it could be a conference write-up. So, Often societies will offer students or people in the lab the opportunity to um, attend a conference. They may pay for this attendance in 
exchange for you providing a write-up of the event. And this is a great way, again, to get some published work where you've done some writing. And also, if you're still in the lab, can help you attend conferences as well. So definitely something to look out for. Um, as I've said, social media is so powerful these days. Um, so share your lab's research. Do speak to your supervisor or other people before you share this stuff and make sure you have ground rules about um, what it is you share. Are you portraying the lab or just portraying your own um, individual nature in the lab? Um, but this is a great way to build up your experience with engaging with a social media, which can be important in, cer in certain science writing roles. Um, and you can also engage with other researchers, build up that connections, build up um, a network while honing your writing skills um, and look out for opportunities posted on social media. It's, it's quite common now for jobs to be posted on social media, especially LinkedIn, but even on Twitter and other uh, platforms as well. You can also consider writing for publications. As I've said, you can look at science journalistic publications such as New Scientist and, and other publications um, and submitting freelance ideas to them. And also um, science websites and blogs such as Bite Size Bio. Our content is created by researchers with experience of the techniques or the situations that they write about. And also look back at the writing societies that I mentioned. Um, they may post opportunities to submit um, opportunities to for individual writing jobs that can help you build up this portfolio. Basically, anywhere you like to read, and you should broaden where you like to read by finding more places to digest information, look to see if there's a link about opportunities and ways that you can submit to them. And very quickly, just at the end of this presentation, I want to highlight that we can help at Bite Size Bio. You could submit articles sharing your knowledge and we will review them and provide you feedback to help you build your portfolio. We will give you feedback not only on language, grammar, style, tone, but also on things like SEO, use of images, um, layout, headings, and even information on how this is best shared on social media. We also pay for articles that are published on our site. And for those writers who really excel, we also have opportunities for commercial writing experience that can help you get the foot in the door of maybe being a science, um, a technical writer or a uh, science marketer. And we provide resources at our Science Writer Academy. So make sure you visit the Academy. We're creating new tutorials all the time to help people like you. And if there's something that you feel you need help on that we haven't covered, get in touch and we can look at creating something that covers that. Example topics that you could write for on Bite Size Bio is things like um, how to do stuff. For example, we've created articles on a SDS page gel recipe and 10 step protocol for creating perfect gels, um, how to do protein crystallization seeding techniques and how you can even make your own chemically competent cells. Uh, tips and tricks such as um, tips for vector preparation or ways to of renaturing your protein, understanding how something works, such as filtration or ethanol precipitation of DNA and RNA, or guides on choosing the right protocol, product, method, such as protein staining methods. So if you have something that you would be interested in writing and having published on Bite Size Bio, get in touch. We've created um, the new author's email, which you can uh, see on screen there. Um, submit your idea to us through that. 
and we can review it and give you feedback on it, whether it's suitable. If it is, tips on writing a great article for Bites Aspire. That's the end of the presentation. Thank you for listening. Please make sure if you haven't already, type any questions that you have in the questions box, which appears at the bottom panel of your screen. And now onto the Q&A. Well, uh, thanks, Laura. That was an excellent presentation. Um, we have a few uh, questions from the audience. If uh, anyone else has a question, then please feel free to post it in the questions box, which appears on the bottom of your screen. Um, so uh, the first question uh, that, that, we've, that we've had today um, is, uh, how much does science writing pay? Uh, so the the question was how much does science writing pay? Um, I'm not sure where you got to in that. Uh, yeah. So in short, it really just depends on the experience you have going into it, the different um, areas you go into, what type of science writing it is. Um, in a nutshell, you might have to take a hit in pay initially to get your foot in the door, but you can probably uh, get that back within a few years, and it has potentials to pay quite well. That's great, thanks. Uh, so the next question is, will I struggle to become a science writer if English is not my first language? Um, again, it really depends on the individual and your level of English. I think, um, and as well, you know, if you're writing in English, I would say that the, the vast majority of uh, science writing jobs out there are going to um, require a, a decent command of the English language. And you, you really want to be, um, as close to fluent as possible but I've definitely had colleagues in the past who have not had English as their first language but they have incredibly good um, grasp in sometimes sometimes even better than um, someone who has English as a first language so if, if you're worried about that I would really spend the time in brushing up on you know your grammar and there's lots of courses and that available online to help with that and to, to bring your level of English up. Super, thanks. So um, the next question is from Dara, who says, do you provide internship or training for science writing? Yeah, so we don't have a formal internship, at least not at the moment. But as I said before, um, you know, the vast majority of the content on the site is written by people who are in the lab because that's the way we can get the best experience to share with people. And we do work with individuals to help them develop their writing. So it's not just a case of people send us articles and we just, you know, post them on the blog. We really do spend the time to work with them to really help shape them, the articles so they fit well for Bites as Buyer, but also to help the, the writers grow and give them tips on, you know, how to put to, a, together a good article, where they're going wrong, where they need improvement, and it can help them improve as well so okay great thanks um and then uh, another question it says uh yeah how do you develop a culture of 30 minutes of writing every day <laughs> with dedication um you know i think a lot of people talk about you need to be motivated but i think actual motivation comes later i think it is being disciplined and being strict with yourself and you have to schedule that time you have to sit down and it becomes easier. So um, various things that, you know, work for me or other people, you can, you know, have a calendar or something where you mark on every day that you've done it and you can, you, you then get to that point, you don't want to break that cycle. You can visually see, yes, I've done this every single day. Um, you can work with yourself to have rewards saying, you know, as long as I do this um, 30 minutes every day or write every day, then I can, you know, go treat myself to that coffee or, you know, have a great movie go out and see a movie or anything something like that might work as well but it really is just about being consistent and making it a habit I think to say that habits can take you know 
30 to 60 days to develop. So it really is, you know, put that time in for the first one month to three months, and it should then become something that is a lot easier to do. But initially, it can be incredibly hard to get that dedication. Okay, thank you. Um, and then uh, another question is, do I need any medical training to become a medical writer? No, so um, you don't necessarily. It, again, it very much depends on the company that you would be applying for or um, the position that you would be applying for. They would state that in that advert when you looked at it. But a lot of medical writing actually provides all the training and um, that sort of stuff on the job. And it would, it's more that you're able to understand technical knowledge and technical terminology and have the ability to gain that knowledge as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, another question from Glendo. Uh, which are preferred softwares for science writing? Are there, are there open source ones uh, for managing images, graphs, references, etc.? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it's quite a, quite a difficult uh, question to answer in a Q&A as well. I think preferably one of the most obviously used ones is uh, Microsoft Word and you know Microsoft Office platforms so as long as you're familiar with those that's that's a good start going forward um, in terms of image management I think that would that would vary wildly and again referencing there's lots of great referencing software out there and we've got um, articles on the site about different reference managing software um, which will um, just have a look for the different ones and you know a lot of those are freely available as well. But again, it will very much depend um, organization to organization. Okay, thank you. Uh, th th at the moment, we've got two more questions. So if there's any more, please post them into the questions box. Um, Laura, so the next one is, uh, can I write for a company or an organization in a different country as a freelance writer? <laughs> That's a tricky question. And it is very much dependent on the country that you're in and the country that you're working for um, because it depends on the labor laws and whether or not you would be classed as an employee or you can work as a freelance in general yes normally it's actually fine um, and we certainly have people who uh, do writing for us from other countries but again it very much depends on the countries in question and the organizations in question but it's certainly not out of the question Okay, I think that's a great answer. And then um, I think this is the final question. Uh, I'm not enjoying my PhD. Do you think I need to finish it before pursuing my uh, a career in science writing? That's a really difficult one. And something that I can completely sympathize with. I still remember, you know, questioning myself again and again about whether or not I should leave my PhD. I found it really difficult at times. I remember, you know, being in a lab just been like this is so much harder than I thought it was going to be is it worth it and it really depends at what stage you're at at your PhD um, it depends just how much you're struggling with it as well you know if you're if you are close to finishing if your final year it's probably worth that push um, and definitely having a PhD can hold some weight in the scientific writing world there will be jobs that are more jobs are open to you having that qualification. However, if you were just in the start and you are 100% convinced that this is just going to, you're just not going to make it to the end, then maybe have a, a real good think about what the benefit is going to be for you doing those, you know, three extra plus years and whether it's going to be detrimental to your mental health. I mean, that's one of the things you, you really need to be careful is you don't spend three years doing something that you hate and just become burnt out at the end of it. Um, but maybe it's something you consider doing alongside as you finish your PhD, start doing some writing now um, while you, you keep it, 
the PhD going so you know whether or not it is something that you enjoy, something that likes, and it might become something that kind of helps you keep going with your PhD as well. Well, thanks, Laura. I thought that was an excellent answer. Um, so I think uh, that brings us to the, the end of the webinar today. Uh, thanks again, Laura, for a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. Uh, please remember to visit uh, the Science Writer Academy page at sciencewriteracademy.bitesizebio.com. And so until next time, good luck with in your writing and goodbye from all of us at the Bite Size Bio Science Writer Academy. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To view the full presentation of this webinar or to browse the Listen In series, please see the episode description for links. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.